As you know, this year we've been in this worship series on being immersed into the biblical story, and we're looking at the whole Bible, one chapter of each book of the Bible throughout the whole year. And maybe you'll notice, too, some change in the liturgical art behind me. The top row are the Old Testament texts that we have looked at already, except for Daniel. That'll be today. And then the 12 underneath it will be the prophets that we will look at this summer together. So today, as I said, we're in the book of Daniel, and I'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 13 on through the rest of chapter 3. If you'd like to, you can open up a pew Bible in front of you. The screens do not appear to be operable at the moment, which is okay. That's just what happens. And feel free to open up a Bible. Or you can just listen. You can just listen to the story. Daniel chapter 3, listen to God's word. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with so much rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly, and he said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. 
The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the gift of God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The book of Daniel was written in the third and second century BC. It's one of the earliest writings of the Old Testament, one of the newest writings of the Old Testament. And it uses the historical backdrop of exile. You've heard about this this past year, this horrific time in the 6th century BC when the Persian and Babylonian empires came into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, and took some of the most important people from Jerusalem back with them into Babylon. That's known as the time of exile in the 6th century. And it was a horrible time in the history of Judaism, in the history of the Jerusalem people. And so, as I said, it was written in the third and the second century, though. And so it's sort of curious because it uses this historical backdrop from 300 years ago to try to talk about some things that were happening in their present time that was equally difficult in a different kind of way. In that time in the second century, the Greek empire had expanded across most of the Mediterranean world. And in the end of the second century, or the very beginning, I can't remember, backwards, upside down, you know, when you think about BC, um, sometime around 187 BC, Antiochus was the king that was ruling in the lands of Jerusalem at the time. But instead of extracting the people and taking them back into exile, he just set up shop right there over Jerusalem and ruled over the people. And so for the people of God in that time, it was as if they were themselves in exile, but not exiled to another land, but in their own lands. It was a particularly terrible time for the life of people living in Jerusalem because they no longer had autonomy. They no longer had the things that they loved. Instead, they had foreign rulers that were ruling right over them, right where they were. And so it was a really terrible time in the life of the people. And so Daniel is using this historical backdrop of exile in the story of Babylon, which you just heard, uh, you didn't hear about Daniel, but you heard about his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their struggles with that foreign government while they were living in Babylon itself. And what it looked like to be a person who faithfully followed after the Most High God in those lands. And so Daniel uses this historical backdrop to reflect on their struggles that they were going through that time too. That though they wanted to worship the God they wanted to worship, there was new rulers in the lands that effectively said, this can no longer be done. And Antiochus destroyed the second temple at that time and stopped worship of God in those lands and asked them to worship essentially golden statues like what you heard here in Daniel chapter three. 
That's some of the historical context of what you just heard and what comes out in Daniel. I find beyond just the history interesting in Daniel, but the storytelling and the narrative. I mean, when you heard the story, it's a really great story, isn't it? You can imagine what's happening in it. You can, you can hear all the language. It's so descriptive, the way that Daniel, the author of Daniel speaks about even the clothing of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even the characters, it's like they say the names over and over again to repeat it so that you can remember who are the three people. It's like, oh, it's easy to remember, even though you hope that nobody actually is called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, but you remember who those people are. You know who the king is because you hear their names so many times. So the storytelling elements of Daniel are excellent. They're excellent. And one of the things I think that's also excellent about the narrative capacity of Daniel is just how you can start to imagine yourself in that story, right? That's what I think makes a story excellent, is when you can begin to imagine yourself in the story or the characters of the story. I was thinking about this recently too. This is what makes great stories like, I don't know if you've watched Beauty and the Beast recently, a really wonderful Disney story, but it's such a good story because you can imagine yourself maybe as Belle, the beauty in the story, you know? Maybe you can imagine yourself like the beast, like a misunderstood prince in the story. Or maybe you imagine yourself to be Gaston. I certainly hope not. That's not a character you want to imagine yourself as. But maybe you're like the little teacup. You know, you're just a five-year-old. As long as you're in the cupboard, it's all good. Don't worry about all the other stuff happening around you, right? This is what makes stories so excellent, is when you can invest in characters and you can start to imagine yourself aligned with those characters and those stories, and then the story starts to speak into your life and you can start to hear, oh, this is what this story might mean for me. I mean, this is the best parts of the biblical text, right, with Daniel, because instead of just the, the authors of a Disney story teaching you about life, all of a sudden it's God speaking to you through the biblical text when you imagine yourself in the story of Daniel chapter 3. In a way, the traditional interpretation of Daniel chapter 3 has been that we in our world here as Christians are a lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Our task is to worship the one true God, not to worship what culture has told us to worship. Just like how King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden statue and says, if you worship this golden statue, then I will, I will kill you. It's a very intense expression, but in a way, this is the traditional interpretation that's been handed down to us. Just worship the, worship the Most High God. Don't worship what culture worships, worship that and everything will work itself out. And maybe if you do do that and you resist what culture worships, they may end up worshiping what you worship too. And that's what we hear at the end of Daniel chapter three, that the king says, instead of worshiping the golden statue, I'm gonna tell everybody now to worship the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worships. But how much change does the king really go through, right? Did you hear that in the story? He threatens to kill people if they don't worship the golden statue. And now he threatens to kill people again if they don't worship the God that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego worship. When I think about my own identity in this story and that interpretation that's been handed down to us about these three men, I actually don't know if I find myself this past week reading Daniel again if I identify so much with those three. I don't know if I identify so much with those three. I, in a way, this text presented itself as a challenge to me, that maybe I might identify a bit more as the king 
and not so much as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A few weeks ago, I was listening to this podcast um, a friend had recommended to me. He had gone to do his PhD with his friend, his name was Matt, and he was invited to come onto a podcast and talk about the most recent book that he had written. And he had studied at a Duke Divinity School for 10 years, did his Master's of Divinity, did a PhD there, and had just written his first academic book. And the book was about language about providence of God and about whiteness in Western European imagination. And the podcast was great because he took these very difficult theological topics and made them just conversational. And I appreciated it so much. And I'll link it to our uh, Facebook page a little bit later if you want to listen to the podcast. But what was so helpful for me in listening to this podcast was the way he was talking about providence of God language, which in our church world is really language about what is God doing in the world? What is God up to in the world? What is God doing? And for so many years, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, as churches that have come down from Western European imaginations like Presbyterian churches, we have used abstract language to talk about God's work in the world. Really abstract language, like, hey, God's in control, it's all okay with God, it's all gonna be just fine with, you know, as long as God's in your life, it's all gonna be okay. And we use very abstract language that's not so concrete to the biblical imagination. And he said the concern, the worry is when we have abstract language to talk about God's work in the world, is that what we may end up doing is projecting the values of the culture around us rather than the biblical values that we hear in the scripture. And what he meant by that is that I can say one thing like, it's okay, God's got this under control, but then with a Western European imagination to suggest that some are more superior than others and to live that out into the world. And he said the remedy to this and the worry of this, the remedy to this is to think specific, to think concrete, to think about what it was that Jesus was doing in the scriptures and how the spirit was at work in Jesus and in his body and how he lived his life. And then to imagine how the spirit is at work through Jesus right now in the here and now in our lives. I think I love this podcast so much because when I looked at this story from Daniel chapter three, there was no material change with the king. There's no material change with the king. Certainly he says, don't worship the golden statue anymore. Worship the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he totally missed the point of the story. He missed the point of the story entirely. He missed the point of the story because the point of the story to me as I hear it and when the three men, the four people, are inside the fiery furnace, they says the fire had no power over those bodies. The fire had no power over those bodies. And not just that, but God delivers. God delivers. And God will deliver these people. And the deliverance that comes forth through Daniel chapter 3 is a deliverance of body. It's not simply a spiritual deliverance. Maybe you know this, but in uh, Western colonial history, when the Western Europeans came to the lands that are now North and Southern America, they often had this phrase that so long as you save the soul, you can 
kill the savage and it was all going to be okay. It was this entirely demented logic, but it came out of this providence of God idea. But that idea is wholly rejected here in Daniel chapter 3 because God delivers in a bodily fashion. You can't simply just save the soul. It's saving the soul and the human and the bodies that are right there around you. This is exactly what Daniel chapter 3, I think, is trying to communicate. The king has to change his ways. The king can't simply just go on threatening people's lives and telling them who to worship. No, 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 that's not what happens. The king needs to see what it is that God is doing right in the very midst of them and hearing that God will deliver the bodies of these three men and see that the one who is in there is a God of deliverance, not a God who is going to abuse power over and against other people. And so I think you can hear in that description then that this text, this text is so meaningful to the people who needed these stories living under that kind of regime in the second century BC in Jerusalem, right? It was so meaningful for them that God delivers through the body. Bodies are really important to God. Bodies are really important to God. And I think when we think big picture here about the whole of the biblical witness, this makes sense, right? In Exodus, when God says, I will deliver my people, he does not merely mean a spiritual deliverance to the people, right, that are living in Egypt. No, he means a physical deliverance. I'm going to take you from Egypt out of those lands into a new land. And the people remember that. God brought us out of the lands of Egypt. Not just that, but when we hear stories about Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus is not simply walking around saying, I'm going to save your soul today. No, no. People are going to touch Jesus and they're going to be healed. Jesus is going to grab people's hands and raise them up, people who could not walk but now will be able to walk when they touch Jesus. There were some who were blind that had spit rubbed into the mud and over their eyes and they touched, and Jesus touched their body and then they could receive sight. There is a way that God delivers through the body that is so important in the whole picture of the biblical witness. And so sometimes I think we may lose sight of that, but that's a part of the biblical imagination that God delivers through the body. Bodies are really important to God. Here's why I think this is important and why I think this is significant for us today too. As I've been reflecting on Daniel chapter three, um, one, today's Father's Day, and I know not all of us are parents. Some of us don't want to be parents. Some of us are unable to be parents. Or maybe some of us are parents and we've had a hard time with being parents. But one of the things I've found recently that's been such a gift to me in parenting is that I have this little, these little human beings around me. Um, and these little human beings, these little bodies, are not perfect bodies. You know, we live in such a digital world now where we project a certain kind of image of ourselves to other people that is good or perfect or successful. <laughs> but the truth is that when I look at these two little children, I mean, we're a whole ball of emotions. You know, we're everything. In the course of a day, we go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. We're really smart, but then we do things that are frankly not so smart at all. I mean, you know, this is what we are as humans. We are not these projections of success or perfection or, or like greatness, you know? We're just these little, these little things are little humans. And at the end of the day, I kept thinking about this, and this is how 
God uses parental language in the scriptures to speak about God's relationship with us too. And I always imagine that maybe this is how God sees us in a way too, is that we're this mixture of all of these things, you know, and so much so that God is wanting to deliver us, like these balls of emotion. And maybe as an adults, we don't have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and the smarts and the unsmart, you know what I mean? You know, we're not all three-year-olds, but, but, I mean, we are that too at the same time. We are that too at the same time. And God wants to deliver our bodies and not just the soul, but save us, save our bodies. I mean, the promise of the New Testament too is that like Jesus when he is raised from the dead, his body is raised from the dead. Have you ever thought about that? It's not simply that it's just a projection of Jesus' spirit walking around when he meets the disciples. No, it's really Jesus. It's his body. And the promise that he says to us is that we will be raised to new life too, like him, in body. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> That's a mystery completely to me. But the promise is a bodily resurrection for us. Our bodies will be delivered by God. God will deliver through the body. So I think it's an incredible gift to think of this text. And I think it's just helpful to think about these things. God delivers. God delivers. For you, church, I, I just, we've been thinking a lot about this, and there's two things I wanted to share to you today with you too. One is that one of the gifts that we've had over the past few years, and one of the things I've loved about this church is our relationship with Siena Youth Center. That's been such a gift to me in my own spirituality, and I hope it's a thing that you can continue to invest in here as a church too, moving forward. It's been a gift to me because I think I spent so many years reading books and talking theology with people, <laughs> and nothing's wrong with that necessarily, to have abstract theological conversations, but it's another thing entirely to go spend times with my friends in North Fair Oaks and hear about their life, hear about their real struggles, to be with them. What is it like when there's no park in the neighborhood? And now to have a three-year-old and think, parks are my saving grace for the last year, you know? And these are our friends that live just a few miles down the road. Their material existence is hard. It's hard. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I think if this is where Jesus is at work through the Spirit, Let's go be with Jesus through the Spirit with our friends at Siena Youth Center and learn what it must be like to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to, to get into their shoes, to feel what the fire is like in their life. And we just may see like Jesus showed up. Well, this is a slight tangent too, really quick. Sorry, it's my last sermon, so I get to say whatever I want today. <clears throat> um, Everybody in seminary is always like, who's the fourth person in the furnace? Is it Jesus? <laughs> is it God? You know, everybody always makes this joke. I had the most uh, incredible theologians in seminary, and one of them said to me one day, whispered, said, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. I'm not supposed to say that because I'm an Old Testament scholar, and you're not supposed to say that, but it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus is in that furnace down the road, you know? Go, go be with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go experience the risen Jesus through the Spirit in that community. I just think it will make a huge deal in your life to go do that. The last thing in thinking about how God delivers through bodies that I want to share with you all is that over these past six and a half years, when it has come to preaching sermons, 
I've always asked myself two questions when I've prepared for sermons. I would open up the Bible and I would ask myself, what is the text saying? What's the text saying today? And sort of connected to that, and what is God saying through the text, right? And then the second question I always asked myself was, and what does God want me to say about this text to these people, to these people? Because abstract, theological, biblical language separated from the real human relationships in our lives, it's just not how it's meant to be. It's not meant to be a thing studied. It's meant to be identified with it and allow the biblical imagination to help you think about how to do relationship with others and the people that God loves and cares about deeply. This, this is how God delivers through the body, to remember the community and the people that are in your midst. What is God saying in this text and how does God want me to say this to the community around us? So I hope you all know the gift that you are to each other and the gift that this community is to one another. And this is precisely how God wants to be at work through you all too, through the body, not just abstract thinking intellectual, but it's really concrete and specific, you know? It's Keith and Barbara. You know, it's Peter, it's Astrid, you know, it's Milo. I mean, it's Kyle. Like God is working through you. Jesus is working through you in the spirit, not just academic knowledge through a text. Like God will bring you a biblical imagination and then make that come alive in the world through one another and who you are as church community. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Daniel chapter three and how Jesus, who is alive today through the Spirit, was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we pray, Lord, that Jesus would be with us now and in this worship service and that whatever furnaces are nearby that are on fire, Lord, that we would have the courage to go be there and to be a witness of your deliverance for your people and how you love your people. So help us, God, to truly worship you, not just with our minds and abstract thoughts, but also with bodies that want to, to be with who you are and where you are, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Five, seven, eight. Oh,